I'm not sure if uh, all of you guys were able to um, listen to the the well last week's sermon that Rich put up um, on the YouTube channel by Scott. It was an awesome sermon. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back and listen to it. And today, in a sense, is a bit of a is a bit of a follow follow on from that because you know one of the things Scott was speaking about was being a follower that um, actually sometimes we can try and make ourselves disciples, but Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, you know. So, today is about decisions. Today is about decisions. And that, that's, what, that's what today is called. And a key part of following, when we're following something, is actually making a decision to take the step to do that that next thing that we need to do you know to, to choose to go one way and not another way to invest time because we've only got so much time in our lives to invest time in one thing as opposed to another thing and ultimately you know when we decide to follow Jesus it's saying yes to Jesus it's not necessarily saying yes to what culture says yes to what our families say yes to what society at large says it's hearing Jesus and God saying follow me come in this way walk in this path this is who I've got for you to be this is this is the thing I'm calling you into and deciding to follow that voice, deciding to follow that leading, deciding to step out and be who God made you to be. Because our Christian lives, they're not just one of kind of faith and for a couple of hours on a Sunday and then we go out and live completely differently, right? That if you remember from Ephesians 2.10, it speaks about that we've been saved, not just so that we can be saved or so that we can be religious or anything like that, but that we've been saved so that we can do good works. Decide to be you. So there's a bunch of different things that can distract us from this, can lead us down different paths. Money, right? God may say, do this. A little example of my life. I remember when I left university, um, someone said to me, I really feel that, well, actually, I felt God say, James, you should do Destiny College. Someone said to me, James, I think you should do Destiny College. Um, and, then, and then I was just like, no, you know, actually, my dad would probably kill me if I carried on in education. I need to go and get a job and, and earn money. And so I went and I got a job and it was I didn't quite get what commission only meant at the time I made no money <laughs> no money at all fortunately I was living with my brother and so I had no particularly big expenses and then ended up a year later or just under a year later being back in Edinburgh sitting in the same seat in the same church and I just felt God say go to Destiny College <laughs> so I was just like ah, okay so um, that that's just like a small example of um you know, how actually sometimes we can follow other things, money, status, image. So deciding to follow Jesus and become who he's made you to be isn't just the best thing for your life. It is the best thing for your life, but it's not just the best thing for your life. It's also the best thing for the lives of your community. It's the best thing for the lives of the church that you're part of, those around you. And ultimately, it's the best, it's the best for the world itself, for you to be who God is calling you to be. 
So we're kind of, whilst we're following on from that sermon Scott did last week, we're also slotting back into our Acts series, which is we're in Acts 1 to 7 at the moment. So if you've got your Bibles, grab out your Bibles. Um, I'm going to read this section to you and then um, we'll go into it in a little bit more depth. It says this. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a prostatite from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So the context of this is the early church times, things have been kind of cruising along for a while now, and people are being added to the church. More and more folk are coming into the church, joining the number, and up until that point, you'll remember a few chapters back, um, the people were selling property, selling stuff and bringing the proceeds, laying it at the apostles' feet so that all who were part of them, anyone in need, would have their needs met. And so the apostles have kind of been doing this social ministry of distributing arms to the poor. Yeah. Arms for them now. Um, and we've got this interesting kind of situation that then arises because we're getting logistical strain that's happening to the apostles here. That people are still, there's no reason to think that anything's changed in the system that's going on. But what we've got here is a dispute arises, a complaint is brought up because actually um, there's a section of these, this, the Hellenistic Jew widows are being overlooked. And traditionally, they may have been cared for by the temple, the temple itself, but now they're part of the church. And so that responsibility to look after these people in need, these widows that, that we know from Scripture, look after widows and orphans, falls on the shoulders of the church. And ultimately, the apostles, that they're the ones distributing stuff. So it's this real challenging passage of Scripture where, and it's almost feels wrong to say, but the apostles are kind of failing in something that's going on there. And so what I want to do is let's look into the text in more detail and unpack it a bit more. So now, verse 1a, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, this is the normal healthy state of the church. If church is healthy, then it increases in number. See, there's this thing as well where everyone's functioning, where everything in your body is functioning as it should function, then your body is healthy. If something stops doing something else, you know, your body isn't going to be so healthy. Healthy things grow. 
And then verse 1b says this, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, just as a, just as a point here, you'll hear as I go through, I kind of speak about food distribution and money and resources because actually in the Greek it doesn't exactly say food it just actually uses the word um, diakonos which is where we get the word deacon from which means kind of like ad, um, administration serving um, that it this serving tables it can be it can come across like that but it's also it can also be um, seen as kind of serving and ministering to to the community that are there. So this complaint is raised by, by the people that actually the Hellenistic Jews are being overlooked. And just to, as a kind of reminder, when we read the Bible, Hellenistic Jews aren't Gentiles. So you get Gentiles who are completely Greek, but Hellenistic Jews are Jews who aren't from, who aren't Hebraic Jews, Jews that have would be speaking Greek, they, they would have grown up um, probably out in different areas of the, the Roman Empire where either in Greece or in areas where Greek was the predominant language and that's where we get things like these guys probably weren't reading, they would have been reading things like the Septuagint which is the scriptures, the Old Testament in Greek and things like this. But what's happening here? It's this terrible injustice, and it's happening inside the church. It's this picture of, like, the body analogy, when, when not everything is functioning as it should. It's this picture where maybe people aren't positioned correctly or made the right decisions. You see, when people aren't in the right place, other people can get hurt or other people can be overlooked like we see in this situation. Life doesn't flourish as it's intended. And it's this pretty big leadership failure on the kind of on the part of the apostles. And just we know how awesome these guys are. Imagine how these guys would be feeling. You know, they're, they're doing so much that they're standing up, they're preaching, they're preaching the gospel, they're preaching Christ, they're going from house to house, they're, they're telling everybody the, the good news about Jesus and that we're the family of God and all those awesome truths, they're telling people, you know, look after widows, look after orphans and all this and all these things. And then due to some mismanagement of resources, I don't believe out of malice, but just out of ah, so much stuff on, so many people, this happens. And they end up in this situation where it's raised to them, this complaint's raised, and the complaint, you know, it's not a little one. It's There's this group of old ladies, or well, I don't know if they're old ladies, but the group of ladies, uh, stereotype, you know, it's a group of ladies, you know, that are going without, they're struggling, they're starving, and there is the resource for them. They're just being completely overlooked. Um, you know, imagine for those guys how hearing that news would just break them. They'd feel, oh man, you know, I'm sure they would have felt really embarrassed, you know. It would have been like this breaking this this kind of like, oh man, what on earth happened? It's this first complaint in the early church, and it's not something like, look, James, the music's too loud, or do you think we could start 30 minutes later because, you know, it's more convenient, or something like that. It's massive. It's this huge injustice. It's against these, um, against these 
ladies that have just been completely forgotten, this total injustice. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or whoever, the human heart hates that kind of injustice. It hates stuff like this, where the downtrodden and the forgotten are just completely overlooked. It leaves that kind of bitter, sour taste in our mouths. And we've seen over centuries that people rise up when stuff like this happens. People speak out and say, that isn't right. And I love the Bible because it always gives us the, kind of the key points, but there's just some obvious stuff that maybe isn't, isn't shown, you know. Like, it says in the text there that they just kind of, they summon all the disciples together and then give their kind of decision. But I think it's pretty likely that the apostles didn't just kind of shoot from the hip with this one and be like, oh no, they've raised this. Come on guys, let's call everyone together. We'll kind of decide it on the walk to the meeting or we'll just, we'll just, we'll just kind of, someone's just going to get out and just say something here. But I have a feeling they probably had to chat about what was going to be said when they got together that they got together and they made this decision on how they're moving forward. And imagine that, I just kind of imagine that meeting that potentially you've got some of the apostles saying, you know, Peter, why don't you focus on the word? You seem to be good at that. And I'll do some more social action stuff. I'll focus on social action. Or you could maybe have someone talk about, well, maybe we do it on a rotor system, guys, and we could like work this thing out. You know, you've got someone saying, no, I've got the best idea ever. We're going to do Meals on Wheels. If you don't know Meals on Wheels, it's, um, I don't know if it's global. It's a thing from the UK where they deliver food by car to old people. But they'd have had to use carts because there were no cars. It's one of those parts which we can just boom, like read through and just like carry on, you know, when we do our Bible reading or whatever. But this is probably, it's what, I think it's one of the most important moments in the early church. Actually, maybe in church history, it's a point that I think all of heaven looking down as that was happening would have held its breath because the apostles at this, part, at this point had a decision to make. They had the free will, right? They had the guiding of the Holy Spirit, but they had a decision that needed to be made. And there, there are times in our lives, I believe, where heaven stops and looks because we have a weighty decision to make. We've got a decision that would change the course of our lives and may well change the course of history. And it's never easy. It's not an easy thing. But it's beautiful. You know, whatever God calls you into, whatever God's speaking to you about, whether it's a massive thing or a small thing, he's always got the best in mind for you. But also in his just, because sometimes we can, it's hard to see past ourselves and our futures, but he's also got the best in mind for other people to do the things that he will do through your life. You know, things like Jess and I coming to Hong Kong, it's not an easy, it wasn't, it was, it's not easy, you know, Jess and I speak about it occasionally to do with the things that we gave up. But then from that point of choosing to leave and the things we're choosing to give up and leave behind, the things we choose to sacrifice for the future, in, from that point we didn't know the amazing things that we would also receive. The amazing, the amazing things, you guys, you know, amazing people that we would meet, the amazing experiences we'd have, the amazing things we'd see God do. And, you know... I'm confident you know, that 
not just your lives, like you guys wouldn't be sat here if we didn't move, if we didn't come here, but also that there are people out there in Hong Kong today who don't know Jesus, who if we hadn't come, God's got a way to do it, but their lives would be completely different. That because we've come, they will see him, they will discover him. Not necessarily because of me, but because of you guys as well. And the apostles, they do this kind of slam dunk, gold standard decision. <clears throat> Remember like Rosa Parks, that African-American lady who decides to not get up on the bus, not move. And it kind of, that shakes history, it changes history. The apostles made this decision and then they gather the congregation. They deliver it. So it says this. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the, of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. I just pause there a moment. Imagine saying that. Okay, That's, That kind of takes guts. That takes real guts to do. Because, I mean, they, they stand up and the, like the first thing that's out of their mouth, it's like, it's like you coming to me and saying you're completely forgetting all these people James and you stand up and say it is you know it is not good for me to remember those people in, in effect but they go on to change it it says therefore it's not good for us to do that job therefore brethren select from among you seven men of good reputation full of the spirit and of wisdom who we may put in charge of this task but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word see these guys they made a decision and that decision safeguarded the growth of the church the future of the church they decided you know had these guys decided to completely focus them, themselves on social justice it's very possible that we wouldn't have a church today that the apostles knew who they were they knew what jesus had called them to and they walked in that these guys, they knew that they had to make a decision. Sometimes we'd be indecisive, right? And just kind of, ah, uh, and life passes by. They knew they had to make a decision to follow what Jesus was leading them into. And the thing is, it's not that serving tables or distributing alms to the poor and to the needy, to widows, that it's bad. It's a great thing. It's an awesome thing. It's just something church should do. It's not that it shouldn't have been done. You know, it's great and wonderful. The only trouble is that it would have also been completely catastrophic for those guys, for the apostles, to continue doing it. You know, up until that point, they had actually been doing that. That's what they'd been doing. But it suddenly comes to the fore where a decision has to be made. And the right one is they stop doing it. So there are decisions, guys, that we all have in life that we need to to take to keep following Christ. And I, this is a weird one in a sense because I don't mean to keep being a Christian. I don't mean to keep being strong in faith and things like that. But actually, Jesus is speaking into our lives, leading us into different, different things. And it may be nothing to do with job and what we spend a bulk of our day doing, you know. But actually, there may be things that he's speaking to you about that he wants you to step out in, to, to step forward in. And it's those things that we need to make a decision to walk in. Because sometimes our Christian stuff can be a bit of a sort of an abstract concept of belief and things like this. But actually... Following Christ 
is also this whole chain of actions and decisions that we make every single day that impacts our lives and the lives of people around us. So guys, do you need to make a decision today to start something? Start doing something. Start a new habit, a new completely different way of life. I don't know. Do you need to make a decision today to stop doing something? You know, is there too much? Do you need to refocus energy into one particular area? Like we see an example of the apostles here. See, the apostles, these guys, they could have held on to kind of, they, they were receiving money and managing the money and then distributing, I don't know exactly how it worked, whether it was buying food and doing a soup kitchen kind of thing or distributing some money as well, but they were in charge of all of this. I mean, these guys were businessmen and tax collectors. They got money. They were skilled at that kind of thing. Um, it may have been tough for some of those guys to have let that let that go, you know, let go of that responsibility. But they're following Jesus and not their own desires, not their own wants. See, they decide to focus, they decide to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. That's what it says, right? They decide to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. And the beautiful thing is within that decision, they step further into their destinies Within that decision, the church itself steps more into its destiny and is secured in its destiny, and they open the door for other people to step into their destinies. That's one of the awesome things with this. It's not about nothing ever goes wrong in church. I mean, the apostles made mistakes, that no mistakes are ever made in church, but the, the apostles here, they lead, you know, and some people can get stuck, and I'm sorry if this has happened up until this point, and I'm sorry if it happens in the future, but some people can get stuck because maybe leadership hasn't opened the way for people to step into their destinies within a church setting. It can happen in businesses as well, right? Some people are stuck because although doors have been opened and there's that opportunity there, there's not the decision, the self-decision to step through and walk through those doors. There's a kind of, we've decided to stand still. So we have these seven men who are chosen to lead and oversee in this kind of area of the distribution of money and food and resources to the poor. And part of that would have been these widows who've been overlooked. And the apostles lay out this criteria for the role. And it's a little aside as we go, but important to see. Because if you're, you feel, okay, I'm lacking in some of these areas, pursue God for that. Pray, pray, for, pray for that. Good reputation. That means they have good character. They've got the character for the job. This kind of job needs a good character. It says full of the spirit. It means they're pursuing God. See, they're not looking for a title. They're not pursuing fame or status or something like that. They aren't looking for a title or position. They're pursuing him. And, you know, we see later um, in Stephen's life, Stephen does many, many miracles as well, doesn't he? He's full of the Spirit. That a practical kind of ministry 
sometimes we compartmentalize stuff too much. Like, okay, well, that's the healing team, you know, that's the such and such team. But actually, no, we're just all Christians and so we can all function in different ways. It doesn't mean that the, the guys who are maybe distributing food or something like that can't see miracles happen, can't see people healed. And that's what I, I, it says it in, the, in, I think it's verse 8 that we won't cover today, but it speaks about Stephen doing many signs and wonders. And he's the guy picked for this kind of social justice ministry and it says full of wisdom as well full of wisdom what does that mean that means they've got the skill and the ability and godly insight to do the job and sometimes this can be one of the great challenges with church that you've got like lovely people good characters solid people they love God and they're just terrible at the job but and so actually the thing is sometimes there's there's no choice right and we say okay look please please help out here but it's also important that to, to make sure people are going in places where they're going to thrive and they're going to flourish in that job that they actually have the wisdom to know how to do these jobs and just think about this job itself the one that these seven have been put in for a second because it's kind of it's in a way it's a little bit of a joke because it's pretty full-on these guys they're dealing with needy people the position itself this is why they need this the position itself is open to so much kind of emotional turmoil emotional abuse by people and pressure like if you're the one looking after the entire kind of aid distribution program for the only church on earth at the time you know and that like these guys have a seriously time-consuming job it's not a kind of turn up, do a few bits and bobs, and then and then go. It's this detailed, labor-intensive, highly responsible job that they need to make sh- be looking after the church. They, they need to ensure that what's just happened doesn't happen again, that no one is overlooked. So they, they're, they're running this incredible program that these men most likely would have had full-time jobs or they would have probably been running their own businesses themselves. It's unlikely that they're get, getting paid for what they're doing there. That they're likely these kind of astute business guys who've actually got the skills and the abilities to manage the huge amount of stuff that's going on, the financial things that these guys need to, to manage and managing people as well. So it's not a little task, it's a serious task. You know, they can't just say, okay, well, we'll set this automated, we're just going to fire a load of money on the internet, like wire all the money to these ladies and they can just go to, you know, 7-Eleven and buy themselves some food or something like that. It's, they've got to, if they're giving them food, they have to physically be there to give it to them. If they're giving them money, they have to physically be there to give it to them. They had to be present to help distribute this food. And so... I mean, just imagine for us that kind of, for any one of us, actually, um, having that, the thought of having been given kind of a shared role in that, it's it's really full on, you know, it's very full on. How many of you guys know, putting yourself in that position, those seven guys could have easily just said, no, you know, there's pretty good grounds for these guys who were chosen and said, hey, look, we'd love for you to do this, for them to be like, no way, you know, I decide no, 
this kind of like, are you kidding me? I'm giving, I'm, these guys probably are giving money as well. Look, I'm giving money for this thing. I'm giving money to help, and now you need me to manage it as well? I thought, you guys, you apostles were sorting that stuff out. But these guys, they decide to do it. They say yes to the position. And the beautiful thing is that in saying yes, they find their destinies and they release the apostles into their destiny. And this health of the church, where it wobbled a bit, this health of the church is maintained. The widows are cared for. And these seven men who make this decision that it's a it is a decision that inconveniences them in some way you know it's not going to be life is going to have so as much free time as it did before because they're now doing this as well these guys they're following christ but even in in the passage itself it is this example of christ himself you see christ didn't just inconvenience himself he made this decision to give up heaven and all that it had to come down to earth and take on himself the punishment for all of mankind's sin so that we wouldn't have to face it ourselves. You know, what a decision that is. What a world-changing decision Jesus makes. The Bible describes Jesus, it says his, his face was set like flint towards the cross, that he was just so determined and decided to go to the cross for you and for me. He, he didn't come just so the widows would eat, that he came so that all mankind could have this fullness of life, this eternal life, this reconnection with God Almighty. Jesus didn't say that he'd come to distribute food. Like, we get that picture from those guys. But that he himself would become the food. That he would be the bread of life itself coming. That for all who'd eat of him would have this eternal life. And ultimately, that is the decision that every single person on the face of the planet must face. Anyone you see, it's a decision everyone makes, regardless really if they're thinking about it or not. Do I decide to accept Christ and follow him and step in, in his ways? Let him lead my life. Or do I decide to reject him? Do I decide to reject Christ? See, having a relationship with God is nothing that you earn. It's nothing to do with your works. It's all to do with him. It's all to do with his works, everything that he has done, everything he's made possible for you so that you can be with the Father. And so today, really the first decision that enters and starts off all other decisions is that decision everyone must make to follow him, to say, yes, Jesus, be my king. I want to follow you. So the last few verses, it says this, verse 5, it says, The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, 
Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a prostitute from Antioch, and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. I love that, that it goes for a wobble, nothing's ever kind of perfect in church, and that, but they fix it, and because of something that's happening there, it's not just more people are coming to faith, but even the priests, the greatest kind of opponents in a sense, the, the ones that Jesus was always having arguments with, a great many of them come to faith. So the apostles lead... And in an instance, it seems like the congregation, like the church, the disciples, they select these seven guys to, to, to do this, right? And I think um, the, the decision of the church here is profound. It's probably one of the most beautiful, easily skipped over bits within, within that section of scripture, because... You see, the, the seven guys chosen, those seven names, all of those seven names are Greek names. So they're all Hellenistic Jews. They're all from that group of people who have been um, overlooked and disenfranchised just in general by the church. And I think that decision there to put those seven guys in is this beautiful picture of the church itself making this, almost, this decision of having a, a heart of sorrow, this heart of reconciliation, of saying, man, you know, we're, we're sorry this has happened, you fix it. And there is this corporate heart we see in the body to make a decision to make this the church a church of health and a church in unity so if you just imagine that situation at the time there could have been so much scope for the Hebraic Jews the Hebrew Jews there to have actually had a bit of a pride issue to be like look I know there was a problem we're sorry about that but no we think we should um, have a bit more even balance here fair enough give them four but we want three of our guys in here but that's not their heart because their heart is one church very much like the movement day conference where I was at the last couple of days this one church in Hong Kong they could have been afraid all of a sudden that now their widows would get overlooked it could have caused division right but they decide to pursue Christ and pursue his kingdom. They decide to pursue love and unity in the church. And there may be times in church life where I mess up or where I lead badly, and I hope there isn't. But there may be times where people get forgotten. I'll try always my best and prayerfully move in that way that hopefully we'll never experience that. But it may happen. If it does happen, please come and tell me. But then in church life, there may be times that we have the choice whether we pursue division or we pursue unity in him. And this, this section just here, what an opportunity for the first church split, right? There is a kind of a grievous something's gone wrong there's a complaint someone's upset okay it's a pretty massive one you know it's not some kind of slight, slight thing we you know we prefer to worship like this we prefer to worship like that it's a massive thing that's actually happened here 
two distinct groups of people, Hellenistic Jews, Hebraic Jews. What an opportunity for church to begin meeting separately, doing things slightly differently. But they don't. They pursue unity. Let's decide corporately, as well as individually, to decide to follow him, to decide to bring that peace always into the midst of us. Because you, some of you guys know the vision of the church better than others, but Destiny Church Hong Kong has a big vision, and that vision starts here in the house. And so you need to know, guys, that there are aspects of Destiny Church Hong Kong that will not happen until you make a decision. There are aspects of what God wants to do, because Destiny Church Hong Kong is not James and Jess, it's not, it's not me, you know, it's not us, speaking about Je Jess and I, it's all of us. And so there are stuff that God's putting on our hearts for where we're and calling us into that we cannot, that isn't all about Jess and I, that we definitely will not achieve ourselves. You know, the apostles couldn't do it themselves. There may be a point that in order to move to a place in the vision of the church, you need to make a decision. See, sometimes, and I think you've probably seen these analogies of church before, and I'm blessed because you guys, especially being very much like moving around, this church is such an all-hands-on-deck kind of church, everyone mucking in, getting involved, you know, like Rich was here before I was this morning, Peter picked me up today and says, says playing on keys and all this kind of stuff, um, but sometimes church, and I hope we'll never be like this, church can be like a train where everyone kind of can get on the train and it's like boop, boop, boom, go down there enjoy it and then get off at the next station okay but really i think a picture of church is more like this boat it's called a quinquireme you may recognize it. it's like an old roman or greek warship and so it's everyone is pulling pulling on the oars and the whole like one guy can't make this thing move forward, or he maybe can slightly, but it's probably just pulling on one oar and it'll just be going around in circles. You know, sometimes that can be the picture of church where you've got like one guy pulling on one oar, everyone's on deck having tea and cake and just watching the boat go around in circles. I'm blessed that that isn't us, you know, but that sometimes we're maybe pulling an oar and we can't see in the bigger picture of where the ship's going. But it's this thing of unity and working together and deciding to pursue him together that I think is very beautiful. The next slide is like an ending statement, I think is quite powerful. It says, as great as the apostles were, they were not enough for a healthy church. Think on that. That's pretty massive that they're awesome guys. Without them, the church, they're the foundation of church. But church began to slip out of health when they were the only guys moving forward, the only guys doing something there. The seven are faced with a decision. Do they follow this new leading? As we saw, they'd have a bunch of reasons to say, no way, Jose. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going near that thing with a barge pole. That's way too much time. But they decide to follow this path that is being set before them. And so, is that you today? Is there something that God is setting before you? And I'm not saying this on from a, just a church perspective, because I don't want to be one of those pastors who's just like, just come and like, 
the, that picture of the queen cream, some of them have like chains, you know, the old things, everyone's shackled down below and they're like rowing. That's not the picture that we want for church, right? Um, some of you guys, it may be there's something within church that God's challenging you to do, okay? But also it may be that God's challenging you to do something in your workplace, to step up and do an alpha in the workplace or start a kind of workplace community group or something like that to begin reaching people and having a, having a place to reach people within your work it may be something I don't know I don't know what God's calling you calling you to do it may be um, the very thing that I'm speaking about today social justice that may be so on your heart that you're like James I notice we're not really doing too much and we're not we're not doing too much for social justice because we don't have the resources and the manpower to do that but it could be something that you're saying I just really want to get involved in that and lead that and drive that if that's you come and speak to me you know it may be that you'll feel like you're just ah there's so much and I'm trying to do this and I've been trying I've been doing this for a while but I'm just it's not working you know and I'm trying to do too much stuff and you need to just lay that thing down and focus and refocus your energy on what God is calling you into it may be today you don't really know him, know Jesus, and you want to make that decision today to follow him. And so, guys, this is us just coming um, to an end now. But I just really want to encourage each and every single one of you in the decisions of our lives, in the things that you feel God is leading you towards, in the things that maybe you're feeling challenged in, maybe somebody else has challenged you in it, that you have the courage to step out into those things. You've got the, um, just trust, have the trust in him. And we're going to worship now, we'll have a response time kind of afterwards. So we'll worship and um, I'll, I'll come and we'll, we'll pray, we'll pray together afterwards if there's something you guys would like prayer for. Um, and as we worship, just stir your heart, stir your spirit. If you're unsure, there may be something you're just like, bang, like a lightning bolt. That's what I need to be doing, you know. But maybe that you're not sure. And in, and in worship, I often find as the spirit comes, just reveals things. Pray that he just reveal to you in worship. So I'm just going to pray and we're going to go to worship. Father God, I thank you for this word decide, God, this word decision, Lord, that you've not made a religious people just of thought, God, just of theology, God, but that you've made a people of practice and action, Lord, that the kingdom of heaven advances, Lord, and his actions and decisions and this living of an adventurous life with you that lays hold and sees your kingdom advance, God. And Lord, I just pray for the courage, Jesus, over every single one of us to step into what is the unknown for us right now. Those things that are in, in the center of our hearts and in the middle of our minds, God. Those things that, as I've been speaking, you have spoken right into our hearts and called. And it may have been just a gentle whisper, come this way, come this way. That thing which sets our heart afire with sometimes trepidation, but also excitement. Lord, I, I just pray, God, that any wall that's hindering us and holding us back would be broken down, Lord, and that we would step out in faith, that we would step out not for our glory, God, 
but ultimately for your glory. All these guys, the apostles, those seven, the church, they didn't make their decisions for their own glory, for their own lives, for their own individual pursuits, but to glorify you, that you would be glorified in their lives, amongst their midst, within their unity, within their teaching, within their service, God. Lord, I pray that in Saikung and in Hong Kong, because of what we are deciding here today, right now, your name would be glorified. Amen.